and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So if you're unfamiliar with me and my work, I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach, and I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication. When you label those competencies as soft, It actually devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase. You can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased the book. And I really have been overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten and by how many of you have reached out to learn more about strong skills. And if you are curious about personal coaching, professional coaching, one-on-one coaching, and group experiences, so we have coaches and facilitators, I'd also love to hear from you on that front. Thanks for all of the continued support for strong skills and for shift your mind. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, it'd mean the world to us if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand the reach of the podcast. Thanks to all of you for your continued support. Really, really appreciate it. Now to today's guest. Buzz Williams is the head men's basketball coach at Texas A&M University. And Buzz has had quite a journey in his coaching experience. And he was a head coach at a young age. So I first learned about him when he was the head coach at Marquette. Then he went over to Virginia Tech. That's actually when I met him in person. And now he's at Texas A&M. And all along the way, Buzz has had tremendous success on the basketball court. But what's caught my attention and what really blew me away when I met him is his presence. He is somebody who really cares about culture, leadership, character building, life skills, and he's a competitor. Make no mistake, he's an emotional guy that cares deeply about winning, but he also cares about learning 
growing. He's one of the most curious people I've been around. And we actually connected after he read my book and he reached out and gave me some amazing compliments, which really blew me away that A, he read the book and you're going to find out quickly that he is absolutely a reader and B, that he got something out of it. So I think Buzz is someone who is constantly learning, constantly looking to grow and then trying to pour all of himself in to his student athletes, to his family, to his community, and to the people he has great relationships with. So he's a heart-centric guy who wears his emotions on his sleeves, but he's thoughtful, he's intelligent, he's creative, and he likes to do things a little bit differently. And so I think this conversation is unique, it's different, and I think that's a testament to Buzz and what he brings to not just the basketball community, but to our society as a whole. So here is Coach Buzz Williams. Coach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, we've exchanged texts in the past, uh, have some mutual friends, which we were just talking about before we started recording. Um, but I've enjoyed watching your journey. Uh, I probably first started following you when you were at Marquette uh, and love those teams. They were just so gritty and tough. And we see a lot of those guys in the NBA now just making massive impacts on the biggest stages. Uh, and then, of course, you went over to Virginia Tech, which you were more in my backyard. So I actually bumped into you. Uh, when you came up to Paul the Sixth to recruit, and now watching Texas A&M from afar, it's just been fun watching your journey. But where I wanted to start was actually nothing to do with basketball. Um, you've got a quote where you say, I want to be famous in my own home. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, thanks for the kind introduction. Uh, I want to be famous in my home above all else because I want to make sure that the hat that I wear as a husband and the hat that I wear as a dad always is the priority in my life. And I think it's so easy. I don't think it has anything to do with coaching. I just think that it has to do with um, any industry that you can go so fast that you forget uh, the lives. All lives are important, but you can forget that the lives in your home are the ones that I think to some degree you have to be held accountable to maybe even in a higher regard. And so in truth, Brian, when I say that, I'm really not saying it for any other reason other than to remind myself. Um, no matter where I'm employed, um, no matter where I live, who I am as a dad and who I am as a husband, there's going to be residual value, good or bad, in that regard. And so I want to make sure that I'm constantly reminding myself uh, of the responsibility I have in, in those two regards. And we've seen people that are high achievers or people that are high performers. Uh, I certainly work with executives. I work with athletes. I work with sports coaches. A lot of times people that are really great at their craft are really shitty when it comes to their work uh, at home. Yeah. How do you strive for both? How do you strive to be the best coach you can be? Uh, and husband, let's just focus on husband and, and, and father. How do you make sure that you're in the right space for all, all of those? Yeah. You know, like uh, I've read every book and listened to every podcast and ask every possible question to those who have walked this trail before I have uh, to garner any wisdom that I could. I think for me, the best way that I answer that question, Brian, is I want them to feel like they're on the team. 
and I never want them to feel like that the team that I coach is more important than that team. And so the way I try to do it is incorporate both teams as one. Uh, you know, I think early on in my career, uh, that was back when people used the term balance. And I kind of understand, but when I think of balance, I kind of think of a weighted scale, like how do we keep the scale somewhat even? And then, you know, there was another segment in time where people talked about seasons, you know, not the basketball season, but there would be seasons in your life where you could do a better job at home or there would be seasons in your life that required more relative to your job. And so I don't know that balance is a good word for me. I don't know that season is a good word for me. I think for me, the way I try to process it is I want them to feel as though we're all on a team. And I want our players to see what being a good husband is, being what a good father is. I want all of the children in our program, not just the children that put on a uniform, but the children of our assistant coaches I want them to feel like they're on the team. So if you want to come to practice, come to practice. If you want to come to the game, come to the game. If you want to travel to a road game, get on the bus, get on the plane. I think for me, uh, as my kids have grown up, that has been the most consistent way for me to achieve both. Um, I want I want all of the children to learn all of the facets that come with being a spouse. I, I want them to learn all of the facets that come with being a parent, but I also want them to learn the facets that come with being a leader. Like that's part of this. And I think when our players can see it, I think when the assistant coaches on the way to being a head coach can see it, that doesn't mean that my model uh, or example is perfect all the time, but I think that they're at least seeing it whether it's necessarily good or bad from their vantage point, that they have a rep of seeing it as often as possible. I think that that's, um, I think that's part of our responsibility as well, too. It's interesting for me. I've got a five-year-old and a six-year-old, and I agree with what you said. I think the idea of balance, it's like a seesaw, and it's like, you know, we can't get that seesaw to be completely equal. No. And the reality is most of us spend way more time at work than we will um, you know, with our, with our family, even to a certain sure. extent, like we just spend a lot of time working. Um, and so seesaw never really made sense to me. I think what you're talking about is integrating and how do we integrate all of that for me though? I, I think what I've found is being in sport and then being in business is I actually, one of the big allures for me to be more corporate minded is that I actually think it gave me more autonomy on my schedule. And so I am home for dinner almost every night at six 30 uh, if I'm not home for dinner, maybe I'm going out with my wife to an event um, or seeing friends or choosing to step into some other spaces. Uh, and then speaking gigs for me too. Like, you know, I try not to travel for a speaking gig more than once a month. I was just in Chicago. Like, I, I'd rather not do it. <laughs> um, and right. 
And so I can use technology now and, and when we're, we're recording this over Zoom, I mean, the capacity for me to do that. So I've found that in my role, I actually can be home for dinner. I don't have to work weekends. Um, and I find the corporate world, I can set those boundaries way better than I could when I was really focused in sport where the games were on the weekends or on a Friday night. Um, and, and it really was a transition for me when I had kids, I was like, okay, now I think I really need to adjust my, my schedule. And there's other factors as well, but in the sports world, it's really difficult because you don't get to decide your schedule. Um, that gets dictated to you and, and even the recruiting and, and getting out there and, the AAU schedule in the summer, there are elements that you lack autonomy um, in your in your job. So for you, I want to just go back to it and give us like a lens into what it's like as a as a parent that also works in sports compared to maybe a parent who works in insurance, for example. Um, how what boundaries or is anything specific or intentional that you do with your family, knowing that the schedule is what it is pretty much every single year? Yeah, you know, it, it, there, we could talk about this for a long time, you know, and I've researched even this element, you know, Kid Rock, um, as his career unfolded, <clears throat> he kind of had parameters on where and when he would do a concert. And it was all based on being home at midnight. He had to be at home at midnight. So, hey, can you do a concert at XYZ? Well, here's the parameters, and I have to be walking in my door at midnight. So if the answer is I need a faster plane, if the answer is we need to start the concert two hours earlier, whatever the parameters are, if you can meet those parameters, then I'm interested in doing the concert. If you can't meet those parameters, I'm not doing it. Uh, Bob Goff, uh, another acclaimed author uh, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, when he does a speaking engagement, it's based on I have to be at home for dinner. Uh, his wife, he refers to her as Sweet Maria. If I can be home for dinner with Sweet Maria, then I'll do it. If I can't, I'm not doing it. And so it is a little more difficult in the world that I live in to dictate that schedule. But I think that you have to find gaps where what you can schedule, you have boundaries to. And I think that it's important, not just as the head coach, that those boundaries are for me, but I think those habits are important for your program, uh, for your staff, and to some degree for your team. You know, if you walk in an NFL facility, you never see the day anywhere in the facility. Like you would not walk in there and it would say today is Monday, whatever day this is. It's all based on when the next game is. And so, hey, we play on Sunday afternoon. Okay, well, then this is what we're going to do the day before. This is what we would do on Friday. This is what we would do on Thursday. And so we've tried to do a little bit of that over the last decade in our program. When are we playing and what time are we playing? Okay, now let's rewind and our preparation will be based on when that game is. Somewhat of that is true relative to the off-season schedule. Uh, I want there to be a route and a rhythm to everything that we do. I think when there is a rhythm, you're more efficient and you're also more effective. And so, like, we have already planned this summer, what weeks are we working? 
And I told our guys this uh, before they left in the spring semester. Hey, guys, here's your schedule for May the 15th until Labor Day. So if your parents are wondering when you guys can go on vacation, it's right on here. If you're wondering when you can go hang out with your buddies, it's right on here. Assistant coaches, if you're wondering uh, when you can take your family on vacation, here it is. But it's for everybody in the program. And so now there's a rhythm. I don't want our staff here when half of our players are on vacation and half of them are here because they end up being here all summer. And then our coaches don't get any time off. And so I've tried to become more purposeful in controlling the off season. And then within the season, trying to find a way to create a rhythm and how we work. How do we prepare for an opponent? How do we prepare our bodies? How do we practice? What is our rhythm relative to the weight room? What is our rhythm relative to the film room? That way, everybody knows this is what's coming. And this is why it's coming. And teach them the why as much as the, the pace of it. You're going you're gonna to adjust to the pace. But if you understand the why of it, I, I, I think that that's so much better. Are you similar in January from a mental standpoint as you are in May or are there differences in, in how you show up? Yeah, for sure. There's differences. You know, I think the thing that's so hard that is worthy of a book uh, and there are some books out there over the last two to three years. If, uh, if today I'm the head coach at Texas A&M, okay, what am I responsible for? And what would be the highest priorities? And of those high priorities, it obviously is who I'm charged to lead. That would have to be priority number one, in my opinion. Okay, so over time, whether you're talking about January, whether you're talking about May, to some degree, everyone is counting on you to help them. And so if your number one priority is to help those in your program, not just the players, but everyone, then you have to figure out how to help yourself. And I think where leaders become stale, leaders become non-existent, is they don't know how to feed themselves. And they don't make feeding themselves the priority because they're spending all of their time figuratively feeding those they're charged to lead. But like any diet, if you don't figure out how to feed yourself the right diet, then it's impossible long-term to be able to feed others. And so uh, this may be a little counterintuitive, but what do I need to know what do I not know? And then who can help me figure that out? But I think everybody says that. I think for me, uh, I'm not old yet, but I'm for sure not young. What do I need not to be doing? I think that's been the thing that I've tried to figure out the most. I know what I need to be doing but I need to spend just as much time on what is it that I don't need to be doing. 
That doesn't mean the program doesn't need to be doing it. It means I don't need to be doing it. And I think it's so hard. Uh, it's not a, it's the, the word control is the inappropriate word, but you have to figure out from the chair you sit in, if you're looking at it from a 365 degree lens, and if you're thinking of it from a 365 day perspective, what is in this priority that I have or priorities that I don't need to be doing this? And that has taken some time for me to figure that out. But in truth, Brian, the reason I've tried to figure that out is I don't think that I'm going to be Coach K. I don't think that I'm going to be Jim Bayheim. I, I don't think I'm going to do this into my 70s. But I've yet to approach. I'm about to enter my 50s. Not yet, but I'm approaching that. Okay, so how how am I going to do this? And how am I going to be effective in doing this? And so the thing I've spent the last uh, year on is, okay, how am I going to feed myself better? How am I going to fuel myself more appropriately? And then a portion of that has to be my energy management. We all talk about time management. For me, I think that's, uh, <laughs> I don't think you manage time. I, I think you manage energy and your energy is where are you giving your time to? And so I have a list of daily disciplines that I go through. Uh, seven of them stay the same 365 days out of the year, but there are some to answer your question more succinctly. There are some things that I don't do in May that I for sure have to do in January, but the, but the daily disciplines that I try to do in May are in hopes of me being better the next January. And so uh, it, it's, a, it's a process that I've, it's evolved. Uh, it, it is a part of everything in my day. Uh, my wife is aware, my children are aware, the entire program is aware. Um, but yes, I, I don't do the same things in May that I do in January. Uh, but I think a portion of that answer is what do I not need to be doing? All right. I'm going to come back to the daily disciplines because I'm curious about what those are across the board. But when you were talking about what I'm not doing, I thought about the Eisenhower matrix and the Eisenhower matrix is brilliant with this. And I usually share with all my clients, which asks what is important and urgent that you need to do now? Yeah. What is important, but not urgent, which maybe you need to decide to do and strategically make time for, yeah. you know, what is important, but uh, sorry, what is not important, but is still urgent that maybe sure. someone else should do. And what is not important and not urgent, which is what you're saying that you need to not do. So I, I love that framework. It's just really clean and, and simple. Um, but you mentioned coach K and coach Bayheim and, and certainly the last couple of years, we see Coach K, we see Roy Williams, we see Jay Wright. These are, you know, legendary men's basketball coaches. Um, and we've even seen women's basketball coaches as well. Muffet McGraw, we've had on women basketball coaches on the podcast here that have resigned early uh, in other sports as well. And you said, hey, I don't envision myself going to, to 70 years old and still coaching. What is the vision for yourself? What do you envision 
taking this to? And then I'm, I'm also curious, like, what, 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 what else are you going to do? Because it sounds like if I'm not going to do it in my seventies, there's probably another chapter in your life that you're excited about. So talk about the vision for yourself as a coach and, and what else really gets you excited? Yeah. So, uh, zero to 10, that's a version one of yourself, 11 to 19, that's version two of yourself, et cetera. So I'm 49. And uh, so I'm about to go into the new version of myself. And so I've spent this year, uh, I've written my children every day that they've went to school this year. I have four children and I write them a note and the note is three sentences of wisdom. And they are notes to my children of notes that I've accrued over the last 15 years. And so I carry around all of these notes from the last 15 years. And every day I write them. Two of my kids are in college and two of them are at home. And uh, every day, whatever that date is, that's the date that I want the two uh, children in college, I want it postmarked that date. And so uh, I've done two other things every day this year, thus far in my 49th year, in preparation for the next version of myself. And so I don't have an answer, but what I've tried to do is I think the best way to figure out where you're going is to, as best as possible, think of yourself in that next version. And what is it that you're wanting to do and how is it that you're wanting to do it? And then that will help streamline you on the path of the next version of yourself. And so um, I never thought that getting into coaching was going to turn into what it has turned into for me. I have been blessed way more than I ever deserve, but I've also been way more blessed than any dream I ever had. And you know, you hear people say this a lot, like, I was never told that I could be the head coach at pick a school. I was never told that I would be the head coach at Marquette or New Orleans or Virginia Tech, Texas A&M. I was never told that. But I was also never told that I couldn't be that. And I think the, as I've aged, there's power in that nobody ever told me one way or another. And so I, I'm always very cautious that I never step on anyone's dream ever, ever, no matter what, no matter how outlandish the dream may sound, I never step on it. But at the same time, I'm never Pollyanna about possibly creating a dream for someone. Because as I've gotten older, I've realized that nobody ever told me I could do any of this. And there's a portion of my soul that's like, why didn't somebody try to help me? But in truth, they were helping me because they never told me I couldn't do it either. And I see so many people in all walks of life who may be somewhat delusional on what the path really requires. And it's only because they've been told maybe the best part of it, but they haven't been told all parts of it. 
And so kind of similar to what we've talked about thus far, like, hey, Buzz, how do you take care of your wife? Well, uh, my parents were divorced when I was six months old, so I, I didn't see that. But I have a great relationship with my mom and dad, but I never grew up going, this is a husband. This is a father, and we're all under the same roof. That's not bad. That happens to a very high percentage of the population. But for me, and what I'm trying to do now, I've been married 22 years next month, and my children have seen their parents in the same house their entire life. Okay, that's good, but it's not all good because they're also unaware of how I grew up. My wife's parents were divorced. And so what the path that Corey and I are walking on every day, it's our vision for what we're trying to create for our children. But I think the same can be true. You know, hey, coach, I want to grow up and be a coach. Okay, how are you going to do that? And why are you trying to do that? I just try to ask questions because I think sometimes um, my grandmother used to always say, you, you can't be anything you want to be. You can be what you earn the right to be. Uh, okay, well, that, that's, a, that's a diametrically opposed statements. Yeah, so make sure along the way that you're learning and you're trying to find ways to earn whatever it is that you're trying to do. And you know, like they, they print money, but they don't print time and they don't print opportunity. Okay. So then, then this can't be about money because they're, they're always going to print money. This has to be about time. How are you going to utilize your time? And this has to be about opportunity and the opportunity can't be based on, well, I want to be in the SEC. I want to be in the ACC. No, well, I started as a manager in junior college. So it, I didn't even know this existed. But having said that, I'm also going to be judged. Uh, when I was coaching in the ACC, yeah, you better beat K. You better beat Bayheim. So it doesn't matter if you're the youngest coach. It doesn't matter what the name of the school is. You're in that grouping. And so that's that uh, the level of which you're going to be held accountable. And so – um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I, I've got a million questions and I could pull on any thread as you start to get going. So I'm trying to pick the one that's most interesting. You said earlier about dreams that the dream for you is to be famous in, in your home. I'm curious about that word fame and yeah. what comes with your job is a level of fame. And you're like a pretty noticeable, recognizable guy. You got the bald head, like, I find this to be a truth. I've been around famous people who are just not that recognizable. And then I'm around famous people that are recognizable and their interactions with the world are actually very different. And for you being in a college town, you know, being in a a basketball program, what, what do you think about that word fame? And what do you know now about it at 49 that you might not have known when you were an assistant coach um, at Marquette, for example, uh, what do you know now about fame that maybe you didn't know back then? It's very dangerous. That's how I would describe it. Uh, I live in a very narrow lane, Brian. Uh, I spend a lot of time at work and I spend a lot of time at home. Uh, I do not go out in public very much at all. 
Uh, that's not because I don't want people to recognize me. It's not because I don't want to say hello to people. Um, but there is some amount that you have to be on. And I have to be very cautious, specific to my energy. Um, I want to be a husband. I want to be a dad. But I don't spend much time anywhere other than my house or at my work. Um, and that's been ongoing for the last eight to 10 years. And I think that most people would tell you that. Um, early on in my career, in an immature way, I probably didn't process it in the right way. Um, and now I'm not saying that I'm processing it in a mature way, but I, I don't want to go out for dinner with my wife often where I live because I'm trying to go to dinner to be with my wife. And so sometimes what comes with that prohibits the dinner from being about her. Now, can we drive across the street uh, and get somewhere two hours from here and maybe go have a hamburger somewhere at a diner? Yeah, that, that'll work. Um, so there is nothing wrong with whatever you deem the definition of famous to be. But I think everybody processes it in a different way. And uh, here's, here's, here's something else. And I tell our players this, you, you, uh, you don't get to your full potential when you're worrying about the wrong things. And I think early in my career, I didn't realize I was worrying about the wrong things. What were those coach? You know, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to say I was the head coach. I wanted to say I was the head coach. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, I, I teach our players how to introduce themselves. And I try to explain to them the variety of people you're going to have to introduce yourself to. And some of the people you're going to introduce yourself to, they already know who you are. But that doesn't mean that the value of that person is any less because they know you and you don't know them. It just means that the platform that you have, you have more exposure in what you're currently doing than they do. So when you go to introduce yourself and you say, hi, I'm Brian, and they say, well, Brian, I already know who you are. That cues you to, yes, they know who you are, but you don't know who they are. And so you have to find a unique way to let them know that whoever they are is just as important as who you are. And so worrying about the wrong things, like <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think that I was doing it of the wrong volition. It was just that in looking back, I don't know that I was ever able to exhaust the best that I could be because I was giving energy and emotion to things that in truth are just part of the job. Um, today I coach at Texas A&M and I'm so thankful, but 
that doesn't mean I wasn't thankful when I was at Virginia Tech. And so I'm not comparing Texas A&M to Virginia Tech. They're two different places, two different times in my family's life, two different jobs in regards to what it was when we arrived and what our charge was while we were there. And I think the other thing, Brian, that I'm beginning to see when I think about the next version of myself is I don't want what I do to solely be my identity. You know, and I spend a lot of times, uh, you mentioned all of the coaches that you could argue are retiring early or leaving the game. Uh, I've spent, uh, I, I spent three hours with the coach last week who would be in that category. And I had nine questions that I wanted to ask him. And the first thing he said was he showed me his phone. And he said, 90% of the contacts in this phone, I can delete now. Mm. And mm. I was like, uh, yeah, coach, thanks for teaching me. Because I had a feeling that was part of it. But if if 90% of the people in this phone don't count unless you're the coach at XYZ University, okay, well, then you probably should invest more time in the 10% that are going to count. And so when you say the word fame or when you say the word famous, I think there's layers to that. And I think uh, for me, I want to be as wise as possible and how I use the platform that I have. And then instead of me viewing myself internally or externally as, look, I'm the head coach at XYZ, I would rather begin to view myself as the steward. There was a coach here before I got here, and there's going to be a coach here when I'm no longer here. And whatever transpires while I'm here, I hope it's all good stuff. But whether it's good or bad, at some point, I'm not going to be the coach here. And so this is not, quote, my program. I hear a lot of coaches say, in my program. Yeah, this is, this is not my program. I've just been appointed the steward of this program for now. And so I want to make sure that if I'm going to be the best I can be, and my number one priority is to help the others in our program be the best they can be, then I got to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, pay attention to what I don't need to be doing, but I for sure don't need to be worrying about the wrong things and giving emotion and energy to those things. So this is called the intentional performers podcast. It didn't start out that way. It was called beyond the surface. And originally I just wanted to go deep with people that I thought were interesting to learn from. And over a certain amount of episodes, I think it was like 30. I noticed that all these people I were interviewing were not all of them. Most of them were extremely intentional with how they were interacting with the world. As I hear you talk, I've heard the word wisdom or wise, this idea that you're writing uh, messages of wisdom to your kids. It's not lost on me that you're not saying knowledge. And I've even heard you be hesitant to give advice to other people about their dreams. There seems to be a, an intentionality around that word wisdom for you. 
And even as you think about your identity, you are a knowledgeable basketball coach. You don't get in the seat that you're in. If you're not a knowledgeable basketball coach, you have to have a competence level to do it. Just like you have to have a knowledge level. If you're going to be in finance and be a trader or in insurance or real estate or a doctor or a lawyer, there is a competence that exists when you're at the level you're at to coach at this level. But that word wisdom is just stick it out to me. Can you talk about wisdom and why you value that? I'm not saying it's more that you value it more than knowledge, but if you do and you can make that distinction, I would love to learn from you about wisdom. Uh, there's a book. It says wisdom is more precious than rubies. And uh, we have become connoisseurs of information. I just think that's the pace in which we all operate. Uh, I need more. I need more. Uh, and I need more intel to be able to make better decisions. And uh, Annie Duke's book, Thinking Bets, you know, there's like, there is a never ending supply of knowledge. And I want to have a learner spirit in everything that I do. Uh, I'm really good friends with the ladies that clean our facility. They've got something they can teach me. And that's how I talk to them. Hey, you've got something I can learn from. They're putting a new court in, in our practice facility. And those guys, that crew, that organization, that company, they are working at a rate that would break my back. And I spend 12 minutes a day, hey, teach me exactly what's going on and why is this good? And why are you going about it like that? I think there's, there's knowledge around us in every possible way. And I think our job as leaders is, how can I take knowledge from a different world and translate it to the world I live in and make the world I live in better? Wisdom to me is a completely different category than knowledge. Uh, I'm constantly trying to accrue knowledge, but I want to get to the lowest common denominator of that knowledge and see if there's wisdom that can be applied because I think wisdom is a separator. Knowledge is a separator. Uh, you, like you said, you, you, there has to be, we're all gonna, uh, I was meeting last week with a person that is charged with uh, training special ops in our armed services. And he says, eventually, we're all going to be promoted to our level of incompetence. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, you, you're going to keep going, and you're going to keep going, and you're going to keep going. And at some point, you're going to rise to a level that you can't handle. And that's one step above where you should be. And you're going to drop down a notch. And that's your sweet spot. And that's where you go. And so wisdom can be accrued through experience, but wisdom can also be accrued through someone else's experience. I read your book, shift your mind. Do I understand the category you're writing on? Sure. I understand it. Have I given the time, effort, and energy that you gave to that book? No. Okay, so then when I study your book, I don't wanna read it, I wanna study it. Now, can I meet with Brian? And Brian, 
when you wrote this book, what didn't go in the book that after the fact you're like, yeah, I should have included that. Okay. That's wisdom. So I've already read the book. You wrote the book. Now there's hundreds and hundreds pages of research that didn't make the book. This hundreds of pages, Brian, what's in that research that after the fact you look at and go, that should have went in the book, but the publisher cut it out. That right there, that's what I want to know because everybody's going to read this book, but there's wisdom from the author of what should have went in the book that while he was writing it, didn't know that it should have been, but after the fact, realizes it should have been. And so to me, um, when I read your book, I'm acquiring, what is that? Two years of wisdom, five years of wisdom. Okay. So if I read 50 books a year, did I acquire 100 years of experience, 100 years of wisdom? I don't know. There's, there's some degree of knowledge I acquired, but there also has to be some level of wisdom I acquired because you gave all that you had over the course of however many years to write your first book. Well, I haven't written a book, so I want to learn what you wrote. And then I want to develop a relationship with you because there's something that you have learned that didn't go in that book that can help me relative to the wisdom category more so than the knowledge category. It's really good. And the frustrating thing about writing a book is that it's done and you hit enter and then it goes out in the world. And I know I'm going to disagree with stuff in there. Um, I actually, it's the way I describe this. It's weird. Um, you know, when you go to a concert and you want the band to just play their hits and they're playing their new stuff because they're excited about their new stuff. Yep. That's how I feel when talking about the book. I'm like, it's, I wrote it. It's done. It's like, yep. you know, you can disagree with it. I, I, like I said, some things in that book that I know people disagree with. Um, that was my truth when it was published. Um, and a lot of it still is my truth, but I'm not all that interested in like arguing or debating the book. Uh, it's just like, I hope it's valuable for you. And, and now I'm like, what I'm most curious about is curiosity, like this word curiosity, which, you know, I, I really focused on, sort of polarity in the book and the value of when we need to be one way and when we need to be another way. And I hope that's what people take away, regardless of if they disagree with the words, but like underneath all that is just a deep, deep curiosity. And as I hear you talk, I hear you say, okay, I read this book, I'm studying it, but now I'm actually more curious. And that's one of the reasons I fired up this podcast is I just want to learn from people and I want to learn about stuff that they didn't write in their book. If that's they're telling me what's in their book, like, like I don't love going to, you know, page 88. And you said X, Y, and Z. I'm like, no, I already know that the purpose of a question should be to acquire information that you don't already have existing. That's right. um, for you, look, you do read. You, I mean, you are an avid reader. I think you read four books at a time and you have a system and you have a process for how you do yes, it. Sir. Curiosity for you is clearly a piece of your fabric. Absolutely. And, and you are someone who speaks with conviction. And so one of the things I've been trying to figure out for myself is like, I grew up in a household where my parents gave us a lot of freedom to speak our mind. 
And I'm grateful for that because a lot of people don't have that gift in their household. I was not in a yes, sir, no, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. No, sir. Household is the dinner table. Speak your mind. We'll debate. We'll disagree. Maybe if I speak out of turn, I go to my room. Maybe if I curse, I get my mouth washed out with soap. Yes, those were all part of it as well. But mostly go ahead and speak your mind. So conviction actually comes very easy for me. Curiosity is something I've been trying to acquire more of and more of and more of as I get older and older because I just see the value in it. For you as a coach, people are looking to you to have answers. And you have done things like, this is how we're going to handle the national anthem. We're going to you know, put our hand on our chest at Virginia Tech and we're going to train. You even mentioned earlier, this is how you introduce yourself. So there is an element of teaching that goes on. But you've also been flexible enough to say at Texas A&M after George Floyd, hey, we're going to stay in the locker room. However, that decision gets made as a team during the national anthem. So I see you be convicted but not let your convictions blind you to the curiosity and, and listening to what's around you. So this is a deeply personal question. And if no one else cares about this, I don't really care because this is going to be for me. How do you blend curiosity with conviction? How do you know when to stay the course and say, no, this is what we're going to do compared to, Hey, I need to be open to learning uh, another way to do it. How do you blend those two? Yeah. I, I want to be the most curious person you've ever met. Um, I'm curious about everything. And I've always been that way, not because I was uh, wanted to have the answers. I, I think the smartest people in the world ask the best questions. But I think uh, social media and the media at times may try to portray the smartest people have all the right answers. I think the smartest people have the best questions. And what's running through your mind will always come out in your walk, no matter who you are. What's running through your mind will always come out in your walk. And so for me- What do you, coach, what do you mean by that will come out in your walk? You know, like uh, the, the, the things that you're thinking and the things that you're hearing and the things that your eyes are seeing, the things that your ears are hearing, the things that your mouth is speaking, whatever's in your mind, it's gonna come out in your walk, how you live, how you treat people, and so for me, I want to be curious about everything. I want to be curious about our players' lives. I want to be curious what our coaches say about a recruit. I want to be curious when we're watching an opponent and we're trying to scout, hey, why are they doing that? Well, we need to learn about that. And there may be something. It's not always efficient. But I think when you're curious, you're always willing to learn. And if you're always willing to learn, then I think you also have some attribute as you, you are able to adapt. I think the, you, the world moves so fast that if, you, if your rate of learning is not greater to or equal to the rate of change, then you become extinct. And so I just want to be curious. I, yes, I'm curious as a basketball coach, but my nature is curious. And so, so oftentimes when there is a, a problem or what most people would say, this is a problem, I understand. But I also think it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to develop a deeper relationship with that person, with those people, with that team, with that staff. And so, I have a lot of things running through my mind all the time. That does not mean I'm right, but I know that it's going to come out in my walk. 
and the the power broker in your life is the one that no one else hears and that's your own voice because that's the one you hear the most and so i want to be overly cautious that the things that are running through my mind i know that's the power broker i know no one is hearing that but me and i also know that what i'm hearing is what's going to come out and how i live and so if that's the case then i want to be i want to be hyper aware to to a level of paranoia yeah i got to make sure that i'm feeding myself the right information the right wisdom the right people and it's a a term i use with the staff always be aware of patterns be aware of patterns patterns can be good and patterns can be bad and so i say this to my own kids patterns patterns could be your habits patterns could be uh an addiction patterns could be a good thing but be aware of patterns and so for me i brian i may do two of these a year you're one of them uh why am i doing it with you i read your book uh, i sent you a text after i read your book because i learned from it i wanted to learn more from you on what didn't go in the book oh you knew this coach oh you knew that player oh you knew this person yeah i didn't know any of that that was all coming from from me and so i i say no way more often than i ever say yes but i never say no to an opportunity to learn as long as it doesn't put me in a negative position to neglect my priorities and so like like anything else like the perception of who i am and the reality of who i am there there as far as is the east is from the west what's the percep what do you think the perception of you is uh well i don't i don't know cuz i don't stay in that world but i i don't stay in that world because i don't know that it it allows me to be my best at who is asking me to be my best every day and i think that uh you you have to be aware of patterns and and what i wanted to touch on that with our staff is when we see a pattern and we have confirmation of that pattern if that does not translate to what we do in our program let's just move on and let's tell them whoever them are we're moving on there's nothing wrong with that because if we see a pattern and we know it's not going to translate number one we're we're wasting time we're wasting energy and it's taking us away from what it is that we're charged to do and i'm super sensitive to patterns around me i'm super sensitive to the patterns of others around me because i am curious and i can chase after something that i'm curious about but if i see a pattern and i know it's not going to reflect what i want our program to represent i i just i just stop and i just i move on um you can control your thoughts you can control your actions 
You can control your attitude. You can control your reactions. Most of the rest of it, though, is out of your control. And so from a curiosity standpoint, I'm super duper curious, even about things that may not even apply to anything that I'm doing. But when I see a pattern that's out of my control, I, I move on and I move on. I've become real good at it. I, I just tell them straight up, man, I've really enjoyed getting to know you. But this is this deal right here. It's not going to work for you and it's not going to work for me. And uh, I wish you the best of luck and we move on. So I recently had somebody on my birthday send me a note and wish me a happy birthday and then saying, hey, can, can I come on your podcast? And, and I was like, <laughs> I'm no. laughing, um, but I was like, I just wrote him a message back and you know, I'm fortunate on my birthday, I'm getting lots of messages and I make sure to get back to everybody because I appreciate people that appreciate me. It's really nice. I, I love my birthday. Um, cause it gives me an opportunity to hear from people and I like people, but I responded to that person. I said, no. And he responded like right away. Well, that was quick. Yep. And I responded back to him. I was like, I've been following your journey. I think it's incredible what you're doing. Unfortunately, I have to say no to people who want to come on the podcast uh, hope you understand, keep inspiring, keep inspiring the world with what you're doing. Yep. And, you know, it, it makes me think about that 90, 10 thing that you were talking about earlier with the cell phone. And, you know, was he reaching out to really wish me a happy birthday? No. <laughs> or, or was he wishing out? Cause he had, there was an agenda there. And look, I think all of us have an agenda. We, we go through life with some sort of agenda and I'm not naive to that. Uh, I think humans are not always altruistic. Um, and I don't think we should be naive to that, but I don't regret saying no right away. And I said to him, by the way, I go, I could have just said, let me think about it. I'll get back to you and then tell, you no when you reach back out in a couple of weeks, but that's not doing you any favors. I'd rather yeah. just tell you, no, like I, I just, it's not going to happen. And I think we're afraid to do that because we're worried that people will see us in a certain light. Um, but to me, I want to be around people that will tell me no when it's a no and will tell me a maybe when it's a maybe and will tell me a yes when it's a yes. And sometimes that maybe does turn into a yes. And if yeah. they're, if you or I are more persistent and we stay with it, then yeah, that maybe can turn into a yes. But the fakeness is, um, is not that attractive or appealing to me. Um, but I want to go back to curiosity. How do you instill it? You mentioned with your kids. How do you instill curiosity in them? And I say kids, I mean your children and also the student athletes that you get to coach. How do you try to bring out curiosity in them? Well, I think everybody has a different uh, definition of curiosity. And so I, I don't know that my children or our players have ever heard me use the word. But I do hope that over time they realize that I am a curious person. And I think the best way to acknowledge someone's curiosity is their willingness to listen and their willingness to ask good questions. And so um, that's what I try to do around everybody, our, our players, uh, my children, uh, my wife, my staff, you. Uh, I, I want to listen and I want to listen more than I want to talk. And then uh, if I know that I'm going to spend some time with you, I'm going to have two or three really good questions that are going to have to be answered with more than just yes or no. And, you know, when you normally talk to kids, they just want to say yes or no and keep moving. So you have to think about and spend time on the right questions 
because that's the only way you're going to uh, have an opportunity to get to know them on a, on a grander scale. You know, what, what's in the bottle, this is my bottle of water for right now. And what's in this bottle, when it's tipped over, that's what's going to come out. So right now there's water in it. Well, we could put some Kool-Aid in there if we wanted. Uh, we could put alcohol in there. We could put, we could put whatever we wanted in there. And when it's tipped over, that's what's going to come out. Well, I need to spend as much time learning what's in someone as I can, because relative to what we're doing, you're going to spend most of your time with whatever's in your bottle leaking out. And if you're on a team, that means there's multiple bottles tipped over at once. And now whatever that collection coming out of all of those bottles are, that's your team. And so uh, for our, I mean, my daughter's going to turn 13 years old on Wednesday. And uh, she's telling me about that yesterday. And I was like, what do you think that means? She's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you're going to be a teenager. Like, does that, does that matter? Like, you got any thoughts on that? Like, I, I just, like, I want to ask as many questions to spur real conversations. True love has no agenda. And you're right. Categorically, stereotypically speaking, we all have agendas. So the guy that says happy birthday to you, however, he found out it was your birthday on social media. So he just joined the group and said, hey, hey, Brian, happy birthday. When you get time, you think I could be on the podcast? Yeah. No. No. That doesn't mean he's a bad person. Uh, it may actually mean you inspire him. And he listens to every podcast you've ever done and shares them with hundreds of people. And that spurred growth in your listening ship. But no, you're not going to be on the podcast. Well, why? Well, I only want those that are going to give value to the podcast on the podcast. Doesn't mean you don't give value in what you do. It just means you're not going to give value to my podcast or that's my lens on it. True love doesn't have an agenda. And so if I'm only going to spend time with you because you can score 15 points a game, then what happens when you don't score 15? And if I'm only going to spend time with my kids when they make A's and they do everything their mom says, well, then what am I teaching my children that when they're not at our home and things don't go perfect, now what? And, you know, like we're, we're, we're um, in a new phase in our home, the pandemic has changed the world in so many ways. Uh, our oldest child didn't go to where she was scheduled to go to college because of the pandemic. And then our next oldest child, our oldest son is a year behind her. And so how our first two children arrived in college and left home was not normal. And the impact that it's had on our current home and the two children that are there, man, it's been a lot of things to learn. And I'm constantly talking to my wife about, 
Now, how, how can we take that information we've learned and how are we going to utilize that with the next one? And think about the next one. When Mason, our youngest son, leaves, now we only got one child at home. Now what are we going to do? Like, we're just going to have a big party every day, right? You know, like I'm just constantly asking questions because I, I think that if your questions are tied subliminally to an agenda, then you're never going to get the right answer. You're never going to get the true answer. And what our world needs is more truth telling. And so am I cautious about giving advice? Uh, ultra cautious. Uh, because what I think good advice is, that may not be what they want to hear. And so I'm, I'm cautious to give advice until I have such a relationship with that person that the transparency in the conversation, it goes both ways because I want to learn. And so, um, yeah. You mentioned turning 50 this year. What is, what is your 50th birthday look like? What, what are you, what are you doing? I don't um, know. Uh, my wife, my wife is really, we're about a hundred days out and she is wearing me out about it. And uh, I said, well, I think, um, maybe we should bring in four or five speakers and let's go 90 minutes at a time, take a 15 or 20 minute break and just kind of have a learning clinic. And she's like, no, for your birthday. <laughs> and I was like, I think that's pretty good. Isn't it? And she's like, no, like all the people, like your friends, I'm like, everybody's my friend. Well, your family. Okay. My friends, my family, coaching peers, whoever, Hey, look, if you don't want to learn, you can go play golf over here. If you want to learn, we're going to, we're going to have this mini learning clinic. She's like, sweetheart, not everybody wants to just like learn all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but I think it's a great time. I'm 50 and I got a lot of stuff to learn going into my fifth decade of life. She's like, well, that doesn't sound like any fun. And I was like, well, you don't have to attend. Like you can go play golf or you can just sleep in. So I I don't know, Brian, how it's going to work out. I told her yesterday, I go, sweetie, I don't, I don't think we need to do anything. Let's uh, let's just do what we normally do. Let's go have a nice dinner and maybe we can spend the night at, at the neighboring hotel and, and that'll be my birthday. And she's like, no, we're not doing that. And I go, yeah, but I don't want the, I don't want the stress that comes with all of these factions of people like so I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how we're going to do it. When we stop recording, I got some ideas. I got some thoughts, but right. I love birthdays. I like in my twenties, I would have a carnival in my backyard and we get a moon bounce and like my screen. I don't even like Maybe that's what we should do. Yeah. I mean, it, like, I just think life, life, I like, I like putting on, putting on events. Sure. I, I enjoy it, but it is stressful and who gets invited and who does it. I know. Who you offend? A, yeah. This is this is this is my list. <laughs> this is my list of all the people that I'm supposed like to circle. Ten pages, fifteen pages. Yeah. He's going through it. And like the <laughs> it's so small, even with my glasses, I can barely see the font. And she she had my assistant print all of this out, and so I have different lists that I keep up with. You know, I write. I uh, write 120 notes a month uh, and that 120, those 120 people, 10% uh, of it changes every month. Uh, there's a certain group that I send 
media guides to. There's a certain group that I send Christmas cards to. And so there's multiple lists of everything in my world. And so she had the administrative assistant print out this list, which I think is a combination of all the lists. And it's been sitting on my desk the last week or so. And she's, she's wondering when I'm going to highlight who's coming. And I'm like, I think we should just hire a party planner and like, let's just rent a big tent and everybody let's just hang out. So I don't know. So I, look, I honestly don't know what we're going to do. So it's clear you love to learn. Right. And it's clear you love to become and grow and grow and grow. What do you do to just be? Cause I love the idea of becoming and being. And I think to me, a, a great life is where I can become and learn and grow. But I also like, I had this moment with my son today, driving him to school. We were in traffic and I don't like traffic. He doesn't like traffic. I said to my wife after, I was like, I think I need to practice some patience for him because I try to find another way alternative. Like I get competitive with how we could get around. I got to two dead ends. I was getting my ass kicked. It was not pretty. But there was a moment where we were sitting in the traffic where it was just silent. And I have a car that like the engine shuts off when we're, when we're yeah. idle. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it is. I said to him, I go, do you hear the birds tripping? And we were just like in the car together. The radio wasn't on, just me and him. Man, like you're talking about your kids getting older and being an empty nester. The guy recognized that this is going to go quick. And yes. I'm not going to have that many moments of just silence with him and me in the car. What do you do to make sure you have space to just be? Um, and, and you're not reading, yeah. you're not listening to a podcast, you're not, you know, rip, ripping and running and growing. Like, when, when are you just still? Yeah, I'm not very good at it. Uh, and I have spent some time over the last couple of years. Being, I think, to me, is being comfortable being bored. And so I've tried to find ways, uh, days, uh, times where I'm not around my phone, where I don't feel like I need to exercise, where I don't feel like I need to watch another game, where I don't feel like I need to read. I'm not very good at being, but I think some of your best, most creative ideas come when you are bored. And so I've got to continue to find ways to allow myself to be bored without feeling guilty. And I remember um, vividly all of the people that have poured into my life who have said repeatedly, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, enjoy your kids, it goes real fast. Enjoy your kids, it goes real fast. And now half of my kids are gone from home. Half of my kids are at home. And it's really convicted me. Um, wow, you know, I can't believe that what they said was true, but the wisdom that I denied, like I should have done better. And then, you know, I somewhat justify it like, well, they were little, they were in school, they weren't in school and I was progressing in my career and look, man, it's worked out fine. And um, we, we're, we're, we're at this point now and boy, I, I look back and I go, I've spent so much time with other people's children, which is good. But 
to some degree, I haven't maybe spent as much time with my own children. And that's not good. But have I done a good job with both? Yeah, I think in some ways. But now thinking about the next 10 years, thinking about the next 10 years, like I've tried to, um, if I'm not the strongest person in our program, I'm going to retire. Okay, so that's one caveat. When you say strongest, what do you mean by that? Uh, in the weight room. If I'm not stronger than every player on our team, if one of them's stronger, then I'm going to retire. Wait, you're stronger than all of your basketball players? Yes, sir. And what do you mean by stronger? Because that could be... Uh, bench, squat, deadlift, whatever you want. And then if my if I have a grandchild that's potty trained, I'm going to retire. And whichever one happens first, that signifies the end of my coaching career. And so whenever one happens, wherever I'm employed, I'm going to wait till two weeks before the season starts and I'm going to abruptly retire. And the reason I'm going to do it that way is that means that everybody on my staff is for sure going to get 10 more months of a job. And hopefully they do a great job and get to keep their job. And if they can't keep that job, the opportunity that comes from being able to do that job, they'll get another job. So I've been telling my wife, this is how we're going to do it. Whenever one of these happen, and we don't know when it's going to happen, that next Halloween, I'm going to abruptly retire. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I go, yeah, I don't know. But I don't know, Brian, that I have the answer to what I'm going to do because this is all I've ever done. And so, like, I've, I've, I've spent an inordinate amount of time over the last two years with coaches who we would deem abruptly retired. Like I've, I've spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to learn from that group because I think there is a, a fear of well, what am I going to do? Just because I don't know what I'm going to do, that doesn't mean I should continue doing what I'm doing. And that's the conversation I've been having with my wife. If you want, if I want to keep coaching, then I'll keep coaching, but I've got to begin to have these guardrails of this is kind of what I'm thinking, because if I don't have guardrails, then how am I going to be prepared? But how am I also going to position my family and our staff to be prepared? I'm not, quitting today. Uh, we, we don't have a grandchild that's potty trained today. And it doesn't mean that when we have a grandchild that's potty trained today, that I'm not going to keep coaching. But I think when you have guardrails and you have to flesh out that process and how you would handle it, then I think it helps you be more appreciative and have more joy in what you're doing that exact day. And you don't hold things more firmly. I think you actually hold things more loosely 
because there is going to be an end to this. So along the way, I don't want to just continue to spend all of my time in angst or in anxiousness or in giving my time and energy to things that don't really matter relative to things that I think matter the most in life. It's interesting. I was playing golf with my dad the other day and my dad's a good golfer. I'm, I'm okay. I've worked, I've worked pretty hard to become okay. Hopefully there's another leap that I can take, but I love playing with my dad and he's 72 and still hits the ball far and good. he's very good. And so of course, if I get a hold of one, he <laughs> gets a little more juice and we walk up to the ball to see who's further. And I, I don't really care because if my ball is in the fairway, I'm, I'm celebrating. Yeah. Um, but his ball's in the fairway a lot. And as we're walking up, I turn to the person. I'm like, I know my dad wants to be further. I go, but just so we're clear, I hope I can play golf for him with him for a long time where he's hitting the ball further than me. Like that, That's that'll good. be a big, big, big gift. As much as the competitive juices want to come out, I'm like, yes. if my dad can can continue to hit the ball further than me, then we'll be we'll be a okay. Uh, like that'll That's be right. a, a blessing. Um, I want to go back to to that ten percent thing that you were talking about earlier because relationships, um, and I hear it as part of your your being as well. When you think about that ten percent in your phone, and those really high quality relationships what are the underpinning elements of those relationships, the people that are in your life that you think are going to be there regardless of what you're doing for a living? Yeah, there's four, there's four things that I, when people ask me what advice you have uh, in regards to coaching of that ilk. And the third thing I always say is build trustful relationships for 10 years from now comma, but learn to connect the dots between now and then. And then I explained to them, <clears throat> trustful means you never ask them for anything. Similar to your friend that said, happy birthday. The next thing after happy birthday was he asked you for something. And so uh, for me, that that's always kind of a line in the sand that if you're asking me for something, it changes the relationship. It doesn't mean that the person's bad or good, any of that. It just means it changes the line. Build trustful relationships for 10 years from now, but learn to connect the dots between now and then. And trustful means you never ask for anything. And then if I'm talking to them face to face, then I say, and now in that relationship, figure out a way to help them. Because if every time they hear you, see you, look at their phone and it's you, get something in the mail and it's from you, if over time there's been a consistency that you are giving to the relationship, then over time, that relationship is going to be built on trust. But the first time that you ask for something, you change the line. I never ask our players for anything other than their best. 
I never ask our staff for anything. I don't want to ask because I think it changes the line. And so on the 10%, you can, you can figure out the 10% while you're still coaching. Is, is the relationship transactional or is the relationship transformative? And err on giving as much time as possible to the transformative and find ways to negate the time and energy you give to the transactional. There's always going to be transactional. That's part of, that's part of life. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're right. It's transactional. Hey, my barber, he is the best barber in college station. So if he tells me it costs $10 or if he tells me it costs $70, he's the best. So if I'm going to pay for the best haircut, in my opinion, whatever the rate is, here's your money. But please don't ask me for tickets to the game. Please don't ask me if I have any extra football tickets. Please don't ask me for a T-shirt because now you're changing the line. And now I don't want to have a transactional relationship with you because you're utilizing this transactional relationship to help you. And that could be said, Brian, from my lens about anybody. I am not going to ask you for anything. But when you ask me for something that changes, it blurs the line. And now that gives me pause internally, oh, I was wanting to get to know them. I was wanting to get to learn something. There was something they could teach me, but now I know what it is in regards to the relationship. And so the transformative ones, those are the ones that are pouring into me and don't ask me for anything. They're only trying to help me. Those are the ones that I think my phone would still ring, whether I was the coach here or elsewhere. But, but like we got this set up and Josh Chambers was really, really helpful in, in getting this organized, fill out form, get you set up with technology. You are good at understanding what other people are better at. Um, oh, like I think yeah. a big reason why Josh is on your staff is that he knows how to create graphics and knows, understands social media and understands a lot of these other elements that you're probably not all that interested in, in learning. So where's that, where's that shift occur for you where you are good at, it sounds like asking for help, but you're not necessarily, maybe it's not asking for favors. It's like a difference there between asking for favors versus asking for help. Yeah. And so, so Josh, here's your job and you're the head coach of our brand. That's your job. You're the head coach of my brand. You're the head coach of our brand. Go. Go. If I didn't think you were the most talented person in the world for that job, then I wouldn't hire you. But I would never even consider hiring you if I didn't trust you. And I'm telling you, specific to Josh, Josh could make a half a million dollars doing what he's doing for a fortune 50 company. But Josh loves being on a team. Josh loves how we operate. But as far as me asking Josh for something, 
No, I'm not going to ask Josh for something. I trust Josh implicitly. Specific to Josh's job. Josh is the head coach in that regard. And everybody in our program knows he's the head coach. So if you're going to talk about anything specific to that piece of the puzzle in our program that he's in charge of, everybody go to Josh. He's the head coach in that regard. Don't come to me. I'm not the head coach of that job. But coach, I'm the head coach, 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 stay there with me for one second. So, but for you, like for me, for example, I've gone and seen a therapist. I have a coach right now that I meet with and coaches me on, on being better. So like, I'm curious for you when it is your job, like there's gotta be times where you need other people to help you. I'm not talking about the tickets and I'm not talking about, you know, the, those transactional relationships, but I am talking about like when you do need to say, Hey, I need help. Um, and, and you're doing it right. Like you even mentioned going and talking to all these coaches over the last couple of years who are retiring and it sounds like you're picking their brain. Hey, how do you think about what's next? And how do you think about these things? Like, in some senses that is for you. Sure. Um, so like, how do you make sense of that? Because like having you on the podcast right now, like I thought about myself, like I want you to come on my podcast. You're not going to benefit. I, I mean, you might benefit from spending some time with me and that's maybe what causes you to say yes, but you know, you don't have a book on the market that you're trying to sell or pitch or yeah. um, you know, there are people that definitely come on my podcast because there's a reason for them. And, and I, I'm good with that. Uh, but for you, how are you at like asking for help? And, and I'm great at it. <laughs> if, if there's something that somebody can teach me, uh, I want to learn. And uh, the reason I said yes to you, Brian, is I'm for people and want to help people that I believe genuinely are trying to help others. That's why I said yes. Um Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I prejudging? Yeah, there maybe some of that is involved, but yeah, I, I think I'm receptive to help no matter where the help may come from. And I think that's the key in sitting in this chair or any leadership chair is you have to find ways to feed yourself and everybody has a different thought on what they figuratively should eat. Um, but over time, if you're feeding yourself the right thing, you're going to have to go far and wide to find those people that you can trust, that you respect, that have the wisdom to actually feed you what it is that you need. And I think that as you progress, you know, the higher you go up a mountain, it's harder to breathe. And that's why only so many people get to the top of the mountain because it's difficult. And so as you're taking those steps and you're uh, part of your responsibility is to help those behind you with those steps, you've got to find who's been on that path before you that can reach back and say, hey, Buzz, now I'm telling you, when you get right here, this is going to be a problem start thinking about that problem now. And if there's a problem relative to Josh's job, yeah, I trust that Josh is going to do the same in trying to figure out what is best within this portion of his job to help us. <clears throat> the same can be true with any of our assistants. Like I want them to use their platform 
to grow and to learn. And I also want to try to help them grow and learn. Does that mean I tell them what to do? Yeah, at times. Does that mean I don't tell them what to do? Yes, at times. I think the best way to learn is when you have ownership. And when someone has true ownership and they feel as though they are relied on relative to that ownership, then I think that they're going to give their best and I think they're going to grow the most. And so I don't want to micromanage. And in truth, I, I don't micromanage at all. Um, because when I was an assistant, I didn't want everybody telling me what to do all the time. I kind of wanted to figure out my own way. I like this. I don't like this. I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. And I think that's, we want our staff to be an example to our team on what it is to be a team. We don't want to tell them that we want to show them that. All right. So we've been, we've been going for a while here. So to wind I've down, got, I've, I, I'm not trying to cut you off, but I'm, I'm late to a meeting. So I am going to have to go pretty soon. Yeah. So let's, let's finish with this daily discipline. You mentioned um, you've got daily discipline that you do every day, whether it's January, or May, I'm just curious to get, give that to our listeners and then we'll close. I'd love to hear anything that you want to share. If there's a nonprofit you're passionate about, if people want to follow you on social media where they can do that. So end with daily discipline and then also where people can learn more about you and the program as well. Yeah, so my daily disciplines, uh, a lot of them stay true throughout the year. And then, as I mentioned, there's different things like uh, we're in the month of May. There are certain things that I do on a daily basis to unpack uh, the season. And then in June, there are certain things that I do to learn for the upcoming season. And then there's certain things that I do to grow myself as a leader. So uh, there is some ebb and flow to the time of the year. Uh, I have a quiet time every day, regardless of the time of the year. Uh, I read the Bible. I have a prayer journal. I have a devotional book, two different devotional books. I'm going to do that every day. Uh, write, call, email, text. That's the 120 people that I'm going to have an individual connection with every month. Uh, that never changes. 10% of that changes per month. Uh, maybe it's somebody new, maybe it's somebody that used to be on the list that I'm plugging back in. I write two thank you notes, two handwritten thank you notes every day. Uh, cannot be associated with my job. It's just to make sure that my heart stays in the right place, uh, in my opinion, relative to the spirit in which I want to live my life. Uh, I read one book a week. I do read four books at a time. I read one book per week. So one of the daily disciplines just on my calendar, it says 25 pages. Uh, that was because years ago I started the discipline of I'm going to read 25 pages out of a book and it's just kind of stayed that away. I read more than 25 pages, but that's what it says on my calendar. Uh, I'm going to train um, six days a week. Uh, I'm not going to train on one day a week. Normally that's Sunday, but not always. And then, so if you, if there's 365 days in a year, not always are there 365 days, but if there are 52 Sundays, take 52 off 365 and now you're at 313. So now there's uh, two weeks of six days at a time. So I'm going to take every one day a week off, and then 
two weeks out of the year, I'm going to take off. And now we're at 301, if the math turns out that way for 2022. So 301 days out of the year, I'm going to train. Uh, in my 49th year, I write my kids. That's WMK on my calendar. I write my kids every day that they go to school. Uh, so this is the last week that I will write my kids because my college kids are already out, but my underclassmen kids are about to be out. Uh, and then CMK is call my kids. I'm going to have one real interaction, whether I call them or see them uh, every day. Those, those seven are always going to stay. During the year, certain times of the year, uh, T to P, text to the players. Can't be about basketball. It's something that I learned that I'm going to try to teach to them. So there's, there's seven that I have every day. And then there's about seven others that I rotate through. Um, like in June, in June, one of them will be one, the number HR. And it's one hour a day that I study one basketball specific thing. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to study ball screen coverage. Like I'm a kindergartner and know nothing. And one hour a day, uh, I'm going to study it like it's a research project and it's just a a portion of something relative to basketball um, in the off season. So every May, June, July, August, September, October, six months out of the year, I'm going to meet with one leader per month in person. And I'm going to meet with one author one time per month in person. So it ends up being 12 meetings per year. And in the six months that I don't meet, which is during the season, I'm studying who I want to meet with. Um, so there's there's seven that are daily, year round, no matter what. And then there's certain times like um, <laughs> there's a lot of strange stuff like uh, zero, the number S, zero, the number A, zero sugar, zero alcohol. Uh, there'll be a phase of that where it, it's it it's just my way of saying I'm clean eating. Um, then there's a certain time of the year I'm a, I'm close to entering it now. I'm gonna walk slash run a certain amount per month. So uh, it's no matter what the itinerary of my day is. Uh, I'm doing a podcast with you at noon today. I was supposed to be at a compliance meeting 10 minutes ago. So they're waiting on me to start. Um, there's certain things that I'm going to do, but those daily disciplines, well, I went recruiting, well, I went here, well, I went there, no matter what it is I'm doing, I'm going to do those daily disciplines and I'm going to wire up similar to what we talked about earlier. What are your boundaries? Hey, I'm doing these things no matter what. And our staff knows, Hey, he's training in the morning with the strength coach. So I'll run around all day today, but I have to spend the night in my bed tonight because I'm training in the morning at 5.30. And that's that's not going to change. Now, I may train tomorrow morning at 5.30, and we may be on the plane at 8 going back out, but I'm going to come home because I have to train at 5.30, and that's, that's a non-negotiable. And there's other non-negotiables that my family is aware of, my staff is aware of, but uh, those daily disciplines – uh, somewhat ebb and flow based on the time of the year, but there are some that, that never change. 
All right, coach, let's get you to your compliance meeting. Uh, coaches on Twitter at team coach buzz yeah, thank you. Uh, that you can follow the team Aggie MBK Aggie men's basketball there. And then coach buzz is also a website where you can follow coach. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson and LinkedIn is the other place I like to play at Brian Levinson. Uh, you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast coach. Anything else you want to leave us with uh, before you, before you head to this meeting for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. Stay out of the ditch. Beautiful. Thanks, Coach. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. The world moves so fast that if you if your rate of learning is not greater to or equal to the rate of change, then you become extinct. And so I just want to be curious. I, yes, I'm curious as a basketball coach, but my nature is curious. And so, so oftentimes when there is a, a problem or what most people would say, this is a problem, I understand. But I also think it's an opportunity.